Hello and welcome to the I Create Daily Podcast. I'm Leora Alderson. And I'm Devani Alderson. We are the mother-daughter co-founders of the I Create Daily brand. We are passionate about encouraging positivity, creativity, and productivity while bringing you information and resources that support your creative aspirations. I Create Daily is for creators in every genre of creating, from musicians to writers, crafters to inventors, bloggers to entrepreneurs. So if you're into creating anything, this podcast has something for you. So tell us, what would support you most in your journey? You can reach us at creators at iCreateDaily.com. Thank Thank you you for for joining joining us us on this journey. Oh, I'm supposed to start, right? Okay, hi. Welcome to the I Create Daily podcast, a movement for creators serious about their work. I'm Leora. And I'm Devani. And what can wolves teach us about healing from pain, addiction, and trauma? Today's guest, Teo Alfero, author, speaker, transformational teacher, founder of the Wolf Connection Sanctuary, and creator of Wolf Therapy, a program that brings healing empowerment to individuals dealing with psychological and emotional pain, addiction, and trauma using the human wolf bond. Teo is also the author of a new book, The Wolf Connection, What Wolves Can Teach Us About Being Human, that expands on all that we'll be talking with him about today. Born and raised in Argentina, Teo moved to California in 1999, where he spent 14 years in, a spiritual, and sh- in spiritual and shamanic studies. We're eager to learn Teo's origin story of following his heart and doing amazingly inspirational work he's doing today with wolves and healing. Welcome, Teo. Thank you. What an introduction. <laughs> well, there's so much that we want to talk with you about. Uh, your story is phenomenal, inspiring, and amazing. We love to get into origin stories because so many of our audience, you know, it's we're learning to follow our heart and to follow and pursue our passions, even when our head might tell us that it's impossible or that there or that it's not there's not something sustainable in that. And certainly your story has been uh, one of following your heart into discovering the greater work that you're meant to do. So could we start with how it is that you came to be working with wolves and and youth and uh, helping heal and empower uh, people who are basically injured or um, wounded in some way? Well, that's a, uh, several questions in one. So uh, yes, we, you right. talked about, you talked yeah. about creation, you talked yes. about following your heart. Um, so in terms of creation stories, uh, some of the oldest creation stories in humanities um, recorded uh, history are wolf creation stories, where um, mythologies and, and early cultures, indigenous cultures, attribute their existence to some creator-wolf partnership, uh, and you know some tribes even believe that they uh, descend from wolves and not from uh, primates. So, so you know, just we can talk about for an hour or two about just creation stories. So in terms of following your heart, what else there is to follow? Right? <laughs> you know, you can follow your head and then let me know how it goes. You can, <laughs> you can follow other people. You can, and, and that's, you know, and let me know how that goes as well. So, so really, what else there is to follow? Um, for me, it was 
um, you know, sometimes we think, well, I did my best. I followed my heart consciously. I knew what I was doing. That was not the case with me. I, um, and I feel that when the heart really, really intervenes and takes the lead, most of the time we don't know what we're doing because this cannot understand what the heart, the direction and the guidance of the heart. It's just they speak two different languages. Mm -hmm. So um, for me was, uh, I attribute my journey to uh, two basic pledges that I made in my life. Um, when I was a teenager, I began, I got interested in what else there is beyond what meets the eye. And so I began reading different traditions, uh, Hindu culture and, and, and uh, Tibetan culture and, uh, you know, traditions and philosophy. And finally, I, I came across the writings of a anthropologist and, and shaman practitioner, Carlos Castaneda, and that was in my 20s. And his writings completely captivated me. And it really, uh, I guess I was sold. I was sold into a, into a revolution of consciousness. I was sold into the purpose of, of um, raising humanity's consciousness. So that was my first pledge. Sometime, somewhere in my 20s, I pledged my life to raising consciousness on the planet. Mm, wow. I didn't know it was coming from the heart. It was, I was just so moved that that was, and, I, and since then, um, every breath I take, every beat of my, of my heart is dedicated to that. Wow. So a few years later, I uh, pledged my life to serving the next generation. So, you know, I, I raise consciousness, or I, I, I aim to raise consciousness everywhere I go and on a good day, right? On, on a bad day, I'm just another, you know, idiot walking around. So, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, on a good day, I aim to, to raise consciousness everywhere I go. And my focus is the next generation because I believe, you know, they will be, um, they will have some big decisions to, to make and, and I aim to equip them the best I can uh, to make those decisions. So those two pledges, I know I, 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 I've taken. Then the way that was going to materialize, I didn't know. You know, uh, I was lecturing, I was uh, traveling the country, going to um, lecture internationally on the shamanic peace, and then nationally on, um, on offering uh, young people a way to tell the story differently. And uh, uh, so, you know, I was focusing on foster care in different things. I didn't feel I was making too big of an impact. Mm. You know, the, the, the lectures were impactful, but I didn't feel that they were, uh, they had a lasting effect. Yeah. So I was looking for a new angle. I was mm. looking for a way to uh, impact young people more powerfully and, and longer lasting. Right. Again, I didn't know what that would look like. Right. Uh, and I, seemingly unrelated, I rescued a little wolf dog puppy that needed help. Uh, was uh, bred in a backyard breeder in the suburbs of LA. And I, I'm offered this puppy. I said, no. I'm offered this puppy again. I said, no again. I'm offered this puppy a third time. I still said, no. Wow. <laughs> and eventually, um, 
a friend of mine takes her and and she he had long story short he had the dogs and um the, the other dogs didn't like the the, the wolf puppy and, and hurt her when she was two months old so one day i tell my friend well bring bring it over for a couple of days <laughs> until things come down in uh, in your house so I, I i received her and the first night uh that i had her i, I locked her up in the kitchen with, so I didn't want her to, you know, she wasn't potty trained, so I didn't want her to pee and chew my furniture. Um, and, and that first night, around one in the morning, she began howling uh-huh. in my kitchen. And, and that howl peered through the, through the house and right into my heart. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, I could not leave her. I could not. I had to negotiate with my friend to give <laughs> her up. And, and that animal became the four-legged love of my life. Hmm. Was that Tala? Yeah. So Tala was your first yeah. wolf dog um, yeah. adopted as a puppy. Um, what yeah. an amazing story. And, you know, I guess you said no because logistics, like it's a responsibility, right? So you kept saying no. But the first night with you, there was that incredible connection. Right. I mean, I was, I was a busy man. You know, I was, I, like I said, I was traveling, lecturing, I was coaching, I was teaching. I was uh, not at home a lot. And, and um, I grew up with, with dogs. And I thought the time of, you know, pee and poop and hair all over the house was, <laughs> were, were behind me. Those days were behind. Yeah. And, and both Tala and the spirit and my heart had other plans. Definitely. Uh, and, um, and uh, the other thing about following the heart is that uh, it takes a life of, of its own. Mm. I, I, I could not say no. Yes. There was no way, for me, there was no way not to follow the heart. Yeah. Mm. It was, I mean, I was, I was grabbed by the throat and, pull, um, and, and, and dragged. I mean, right. it was I mean, my, my opinion <laughs> and, my, my, opinion and my, my preferences or what I thought I wanted to do was completely irrelevant. Yeah. Now, I, what I love about your unraveling of that initial long question is that the story was about following your heart without specifically thinking that, because if you're thinking that, then it's back in your head. It yeah. was just going through what your inclination was, what you were drawn to, what you were, com- you were compelled to do, and then going through each open door of opportunity. Is and then at some like. point, life being like, no, you're going to have a wolf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah. no, whether you like this one or not, you're going to have a wolf. <laughs> right, right. And next, on the heels of that, you're going to have 70. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So take us through then that journey. So now you're living with Tala, you're connected. Yeah bonding and so, it went from how where did it go from there well tala became my, my partner i mean going everywhere with me uh including lectures and teachings and and um and i eventually began looking for a playmate for her i began looking for i mean they you know obviously these animals do better in packs there were moments that i was traveling right. so um the search for a, for a playmate led me to the high desert, uh, about an hour north of Los Angeles, where I found a pack of 16 wolves and wolf dogs that uh, were coming from a um, hoarder that uh, had them. Um, it's a very sad story. The woman had them over 40, and then she dies. She had cancer. 
Oh. And then uh, apparently the neighbors poisoned more than half of them after she died. So they were, oh. the animals were left there. So by the time the animals are, are rescued, there are 16 left. And, and then I come along, you know, skipping and whistling, trying to, uh, looking for an animal to adopt. And then so, so they, I find them in, at, a, at a dog rescue center. They were just rescued. And, and they show me all these animals and they say, would you like to take one? And, and my heart again yes. <laughs> opened up. I could not leave those animals. And instead of taking one, I stayed and began uh, volunteering. So we can come in once a week and then twice a week and then three times a week to, to feed and leash train and groom and different things. So what, what a volunteer does. And three months into it or so, I, I'm speaking to the woman that owns the place where the wolves were being kept and um, speaking about the weather and a trivial conversation. And then these words come out of my mouth. You know, all my life, I wanted to start a wolf sanctuary. Ten years later, I still don't know where those words came from. Wow. Who was speaking? You know, it's either a longing that I didn't know I had. My heart was speaking. The wolves were speaking through me. Truth is, that was not true at the time. That was not something that I wanted to do all my life. Yeah. I never thought about walls until I came in, in contact with Tala. Mm. And, um, and at that point, uh, the, 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 my words were true, were honest, were genuine and convincing. This woman totally believed me and said, okay, I help you. And I never looked back. I mean, that statement that came out of nowhere uh, set a course in my life uh, for the last 10 years and, and, and probably for the rest of my life. Wow. How did you know? So you have this like appearingly random thought of all my life I wanted to start a wolf sanctuary. How did yeah. you know? Was it how did you know to trust that particular voice? Because all of it, us have wild ideas at some point. How did you know that was the thought to follow or the, the feeling? Again, it's not. It's not something that I knew. Uh, it, um, um, it took it a life of its own. And I couldn't say no, almost like, I would say if you really had to think about following and making a decision, that's not yet the heart. Mm -hmm. it's, it can be close, can be a heart influenced by the heart, can be some input. But this feels like, rationalizes it and say, well, maybe I should do this. I should do that. I, I think I'm going to follow this. Yeah. Hold on one second. Just take another, because for me, what it was is, is the heart or the spirit or the walls created like, um, almost like a dream state for me mm -hmm. where I was going, okay, yeah, let's do this. And sure. Next and next. And yeah, I mean, I, with no clue what I was saying yes to being guided in a way that was, uh, there was no doubt in my, in my mind, yet by any logic was completely crazy. I knew nothing about walls. I had little money. I, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a strategy. I never run a, an animal sanctuary of any kind ever. I, was, I never run a non-profit ever. I, so, you know, if you go on a checklist, they were all red marks. Yes. You mm -hmm. know? The only, the only green mark was, was, is this truthful? Is this, is this heartfelt? Is this heart opening? Yes, yes. Is this 
um, adventurous? Yes. Is this uh, uh, impactful? Yes. I mean, there was there were a few markers that had nothing to do with the mind. So, so this is uh, this is interesting. This is new. So I would imagine that if the heart has a checklist, would be is this wild? Is this creative? Is this impactful? Is this heart opening? Is this uh, collaborative? Is this inclusive? Is this emotionally intelligent? Is this uh, uh, for the good of all? Is this uh, um, guided by spirit? Is this uh, you know loving? Is, right. Those that would be the check mark. It would not be. Do you have a plan? Do uh, you, have a, you know. Do you have? Do you know what you're doing? Yeah. Do you have any experience? Do you have any? Blah blah. You know. Those would not be the check mark of the heart. Oh, I love that. That is so perfect. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, and and you even said at one point in one of the videos we saw that you even started, you started a wool sanctuary with just twenty dollars in your pocket, basically. You know, and like you said, you didn't have experience with wolves other than your own dog. You didn't have experience with creating an organization. Before we go into okay, what happened next and how that unfolded, take us back to a, the parallel or the synchronous. Um, path that you were on as a shamanic and spiritual um, trans transformationalist, essentially, what kind of work do you do? Because that's a part of your heart path as well. That is my heart path. So one of the principles of the tradition that I follow and I'm part of is uh, the concept of a path with heart. You know, so the, the path with heart is something that Carlos Castaneda wrote extensively about. And it's a concept that basically says, in the world of energy, everything is equal. It's all the same, right? I mean, there's no morals. There's no right or wrong. There's no uh, good or bad. There's no uh, what is more convenient, um, you know. So, so how do you decide, uh, you know, what was the decision process to, to, uh, for decision-making? So... Um, so the path with heart is, is everything is the same. So pick a path that has heart. Mm. All the paths are the same. So you can pick any, but the one with heart will make the, the journey more enjoyable, mm. more, more, uh, more joyful, more, more passionate. And Wolf Connection is my path with heart. I thought at one point that my path with heart was going to be pass along the teachings of Carlos Castaneda, which I do in, in many ways, but I'm not traveling internationally that much now because I'm running Wolf Connection. And, um, and Wolf Connection has become a way for me to uh, apply 20 years of training into a project that, that's uh, you know, very tangible and that influences communities in a very powerful way. Well, one of the gifts or um, attributes, I would think, of a, a spiritual guide um, is to essentially be that, is to facilitate the natural he healing process of helping people connect with themselves um, and their own healing process, just as essentially the way the wolves are very much a part of um, the, the life of the wolves is a lot about self-healing, um, balancing the wolf within the, the wolf. In other words, you've said in other places that um, wolves just accept themselves for who they are as they are. 
Um, and so it seems like what you've been able to do is really tie in through your observation and awareness of the wolves and human nature and spiritual guidance, um, how to bring all these things together. Where did you go first, though? Um, because it didn't start there again. You know, you, you are now, you're, heat, you're volunteering, you're keeping your heart open, wide open, and you're volunteering and caring for these wolves. And then you have this spontaneous awareness that you want to start the sanctuary. Um, so how did that start? How did that come about? And how did the lady of the um, agents or the nonprofit center, rescue center, help you with that? Yeah, so the, 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 the lady... Um uh, the animal rescuer that helped me eventually became uh, the star of the TV show Pitbulls and Parolis. So it's a show that's been thir 12, 13 seasons in the, you know, going and ongoing. Wow. So Thea Torres, that was the person that I connected with. Uh, so, um, so it started uh, gradually. So initially what I did is I started coming back to the dogs uh, rescue center more often, several times a week and beginning to, and, and she was giving me some pointers first on how to deal with the animals because I was making every mistake in the book. And secondly, uh, to begin to understand what the, the rescue business uh, entailed. I mean, there's fundraising involved, there is, uh, you know, permitting involved, legislation, there's all kinds of, you know, beyond, uh, I mean, so now the heart is leading and now, now the, the head needs to start assisting yeah. <laughs> with, the heart, with the heart process. Yeah. If you just, you know, all heart, the, you know, the heart many times is, is outside of the daily world, right? I mean, creates an, a, a direction um, and then these can, can align behind that to, to put the pieces together, yeah. uh, which that, that's what it's good for. It's not good at leading, but it's good at assisting. Yes, mm. you know that's a great uh, way to put it. Right, right. Yeah, you, we don't discard the mind. It's just we don't let it in on the driver's seat. Yes, <laughs> you know, but, but it can, but it can be in the passenger seat with the map. Right. Then go left, go right. We, when once we already yeah. know where we're going, it can really, you know. Yeah, and I love how you basically to some summarize, summarize what you said is it, be, it has, helps us navigate the world of men and, you know, the world of humanity, essentially the logistics, the bureaucracies, yeah. the details, yeah. you know, a little bit on the left brain kind of conceptual side as well versus the, the more right brain, um, uh, what do you call creative. concept conceptual creative side, right. side right. right so and I also love that you said gradually because that's an important point you know if you yeah. had started at the beginning saying no I'm impatient you know it needs to happen by next year I need to have this sanctuary but instead it was a, a gradual process of preparing yourself um, mm -hmm. allowing the vision to unfold and then doing the necessary steps so and when was that like how long ago was that that was 10 years ago Okay, so 10 years. So then about how long before, like, did you find the land first? Did you adopt the 17, 16 wolves at one point? So continue the journey. We love the story. Well, okay, so the uh, several steps happened. Um, I, I begin, I, I, I state my claim on the animals that I was going to, to adopt them. I take care of them. So for the first uh, nine or 10 months, I, I continued in the rescue center, taking over more and more, learning how to, how to do it. Um, eventually, that rest, the whole rescue center moved to, to the south, so out of state. And, and I, so I had to find a place. So this, this lady actually helped me, Tia helped me 
connect with someone that had a piece of land I wasn't using. So I was able to release that. And, um, and Tia, when, we took, when she took down her, her dog rescue center, gave me all the materials. Wonderful. So, yeah, so I was left with fencing and roofing and blah, 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 you know, footballs, <laughs> all the little <laughs> things that you need. Yeah. So, um, so then, so I, I moved the facility. So that was 2009 at running her place. 2010, I'm at my, my humble facility. So I, I moved out of LA. I get a traveling trailer. Uh, this was a raw piece of land and put the trailer there. And initially had no water, no electricity, no oh, plumbing. Wow. And so I went and you know, I became a complete uh, hermit living in the middle of the mountains uh, with a pack of wolves. Wow. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was, you know, I was in that trailer for five years over, over time. I learned how to put a solar power system together. So that brought electricity, uh, <laughs> you wow. know, water, I mean, different things. Right. But it, wow. it was a process. Um, I really started from the very basics, like, you know, electricity and water. Um, and then, and then Tia suggested that I do, um, I open it to the public. So I, I, I do a post in, on Facebook. Uh, the organization didn't have a name yet. And I call it, uh, you know, hike with the wolf, moon, moon, uh, full moon hike with the wolves. Wow. Um, it was a full moon evening. So why not? People come in the evening. I'll do a presentation. It was donation-based. And, um, and when the moon was up, we were going to go for a little walk with, with the wolves. That was, that was the plan. So... Um, uh, a celebrity person, uh, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Reverend uh, Michael Beckwith, who runs uh, Agape Community, he and, and, and you know known guy. Yeah, very uh, big. He signs up to the to the event. Oh my god! <laughs> so so he signs up. When he signs up, uh, his community notices it. So seventy or eighty people show up to the event. Wow! So Mike. Since then, I, I met at Reverend Beckwith. So Mike, he, he didn't come, but all his followers came. Wow. So I ended, up, I ended up having a gigantic event from that first event, uh, gigantic for the time. Uh, my first volunteers came out of that event. My first donors came out of that event. And so I was never alone taking care of the wolves again. Wow. And then, and then it began growing like this. I mean, it was really, really fast. Um, we're probably one of the fastest growing nonprofits. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've been doubling in budget year after year after year after year. Uh, um, um, yeah, I mean, I, it took a, a, it took a, a, a life on, of its own. And what I believe I do is just translate the wolf message um, and then get out of the way. Yeah. So the wolf to the magic, the wolves are all heart. And so there, there is, I mean, the way you see them opening people's hearts is, is, uh, unprecedented. I never seen something like that. And, um, and then I translate, I help people, uh, like you said before, facilitate the process of realizing what's happening uh, and then get out of the way. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, just logistics, you know, thinking of logistics, like, first of all, you, you had never done this before by you know hosting this hike and you had so many people show up at once now you've been working with the dogs i assume re rehabilitating them because they also needed their own healing from their own traumas and did you have a certainty or were you did you trust that that they would be that your wolf pack 
was already stable enough and comfortable enough that they would be able to absorb, you know, this massive crowd of people coming in. I had no clue. <laughs> I had no clue. And, and, and the way, I mean, looking back, the way I ran that event, um, a lot of people could have gotten hurt. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, the only thing I can, I, can, I can imagine is that the wolves said, well, you know, they got together without me and they said, guys, this guy had no clue what he's doing. <laughs> you know, so we need to behave. Don't bite anybody. <laughs> Don't hurt anybody because if we do, the whole thing goes out the window. <laughs> so behave and they really behaved. I mean, I mean, it was really, really cool. Amazing. Uh, I guess from their perspective, it's like, wow, you know, our pack has doubled more than doubled. And like, that's good. You know, we've got good numbers. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They will. I will. You know, he has a good heart. It's, it's good raw material, but he has no glue. Yeah. Right, Let, right. Let's, help him, let's help him out. Oh, yeah. thank goodness it worked Ooh. well. And I'm sure you had some guidance, you know, from other realms as well. Now it was on a full moon. Um, so did, did you see the moon? Did the wolves uh, howl? Is that a myth? Do the wolves actually howl more in the full moon? Um, they, 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 I don't have any evidence that the wolves actually howl at the moon. Um, you know how you know, some, some studies suggest that you know, the, the pull of the full moon has an influence in the tides and some of our bodily fluids. And I personally, I'm a little more, a lot more alive other than the full moon and, and energized. Um, so they are definitely more active during full moons. I would imagine that uh, they can also hunt on, on, on those full moons, they can see through the night, they can, so, um, but they howl a lot and they howl during the day and during the night and for many different reasons. So, um, yeah, it's not that, you know, like, the, like the, the myth of the lone wall, the fact that they howl at the moon is also, you know, more, more myth than, um, than fact. Well, it, it makes for beautiful images for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. So we don't have wolves, but we do have dogs and we have a rescue lab Roddy dog. Um, and then Devani has a little Maltese and the rescue dog, the first time he howled here when he heard a siren. And we heard him howl before we heard him bark. Yeah. Yeah. We had never heard him howl or bark. And it's like suddenly this barreling howl came out. Now, the little Maltese is seven pounds, and the Labrati is like 80 pounds. And so the Maltese thinks he's alpha, and so he's not that nice to the big Maltese because of that. He has to, sorry, the big Labrati, he has to assert his dominance. dominance. But when the Labrati starts howling, suddenly the Maltese discovers like what he was made to be. <laughs> and he so joins funny. in on this howling in just the most phenomenal way. Now they've got a chorus going, you know, the deep baritone voice and the high tenor of the little Maltese. And suddenly for that period, they're like brothers, they're kindred. And the Maltese just can't get enough of looking at and staring at and smelling the Labrati and in all his glory of howling. <laughs> so obviously it's a bonding experience. And, and speaking of bonding, I mean, that's when, when Tala was howling in the kitchen that 3 a.m. that night, that's when you, it opened your heart too. So anything you care to share to educate us more, inform us on your observations of the howling, the magic of the howling. Yeah, there's so much to be said about that. The, 
it's definitely, uh, I love how you, how you picked up on that. It's definitely a bonding experience. They, they actually, uh, there was, um, there's some studies that suggest this, and then I've seen it at the ranch. They use the howl to synchronize their mood. Ooh, so the wow. bonding can be described. They synchronize their emotional state, their mental state, their energy state by howling together. And you can hear the different tones adjusting to each other and, yeah. and finding uh, yeah. uh, uh, um, harmonics. Harmony, yeah. yeah. Mm. Harmonics that, that really, you know, so they're, they're constantly modulating. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful process to, to see. And different wolves have different tones at different moments of the howl and at different howls. Um, you know, the, some indigenous uh, tribes say the wolves taught us how to sing. Yeah, mm, I bet. So, uh, and there's no scientific evidence for this, but science is usually behind <laughs> by a couple of decades. So, <laughs> so the, um, I wouldn't be surprised is if, you know, some of our original vocalization and the origins of language uh, for us was, it has something to do with observing wolves and modulate and vocalize. They have a, also a very complex, you know, 32 different sounds. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have 28 different sounds in our 32. alphabet. Really? Wow. 32 different sounds. That's wow. fascinating. So you, I mean, you've taken the deep dive. You've become the expert knowledgeable on wolves. You've lived with them now for over 10 years. Um, and you've seen a lot of healing taking place. Many of, many of those stories are in your book. Uh, some are available in the videos that you have that you share online. And we'll link, of course, to all of that. Would you care to share one with our audience today? Sure, sure. And in terms of the expertise, uh, I, I want to, you know, there's one expertise that I can claim, which is the wolf-human connection. Good point. You know, there are people that are a lot more uh, versed than me in the biology of wolves, in the genetics of wolves, in the, you know, wildlife behavior. Um, you know, I, I know um, a, a good deal about that, but there are experts that are far ahead of me. Uh, and the connection, I, I can probably, um, you know, claim that spot. So, um, repeat your question, please. I was, uh, Just if you would like to share any stories that you've observed of the wonderful healing between the human-wolf connection. Oh, so many. Uh, there's one that just comes to me now uh, from the book where I refer to an encounter between one of my wolves, um, Willow, which she was a pup at the time, and, um, and a war veteran. So we, do a, we did a program where we visited a, a, a retreat center that were doing a, a, a healing process with uh, veterans, specifically with special forces. And this group that uh, we, we work with uh, were uh, from a, a bomb disposal unit. Mm. So um, there was a man that uh, had, uh, had an, 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 I mean, the, one side of his body was severely damaged, you know, burns all over his face. Uh, covered with a beard, and then he was missing an arm and a leg. Wow. So, uh, big, burly man, you know, very masculine, very strong presence, and he had a, 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 a particular look. And he was sharing that his um, biggest pain and trauma was not the service and was not losing limbs, was the way he was received when he came back. Mm. Because the kids are afraid of him because of the way he looks, uh, people have this reaction to him. So instead of being 
been welcome a hero. He was welcome a bit of a, you know, um, with, with, with resistance or with, you know, with, with a reaction, with a version. Yeah. Version. So yeah, uh, and that, um, uh, that hurt him. Uh, so, so long story short, we show up here with the walls and we have as a, a typical way to start, especially with a group like that. When they first meet the animals, uh, we're getting two or three wolves, you know, we show up with a truck, get two or three wolves out. And we begin by the circle up in the grass and, and we say, well, you know, how to meet a wolf, right? So we start talking about how to offer your hand, how to kneel down to the level, you know, show uh, breathing to your heart, you know, so to, to create that calm, um, grounded state that will help you help the wolves come to you. And, and we typically say, well, you know, wolves are usually welcome female energy more, you know, mm. more gentle, so more nourishing. So they tend to gravitate to the women first and, mm. then, and then hit and miss with the men. So in the midst of saying, you know, guys, if they don't come to you, don't take it personal. That's how they react. So, and, and we are not even finishing that statement. And Willow, Willow was hand, uh, at, the day, at the time handled by my wife. Willow dragged my wife across the circle and mothers this guy. Wow. So, I mean, starts, you know, gets on his lap, legs on the face and licking his face all over. Eventually, she, she sits on her, on her lap and, and, and starts, you know, rubbing, neck rubbing and licking. I mean, <laughs> wow. I mean, and we were blown away because it, she's still today, years later, she's a, a, a shy, I mean, like reserved animal. She takes her time. She sniffs you from the distance. She checks you out, wow. comes a little bit, right? And then got, he had, she had no boundaries. She had completely mm-hmm. rolled. I mean, and this man started breaking down and crying and laughing and crying and laughing. And wow. I mean, all this reaction and all this uh, freedom and all this release starts happening in the first five minutes of the program. And, and, um, and he, he could barely speak after this. Yeah. So it lasted a few minutes and that encounter, I mean, he, he was blown away. And uh, as we finished the program, he comes and he says, can I say goodbye to Willow? He's, She's like, I'm so impactful. I mean, I, I don't know what, I mean, he was like trying to find his words. So Willow in five minutes was able to, to, to do for him what um, therapy and circles and many other modalities were unable to. Mm. Wow, that's an amazing wow. story. Yeah, that's, sorry, were you gonna say something? Is it, is it just because they're so present, wolves, they're just so tuned in and present to the energy and what specific people or even other wolves need in the moment? Why yeah. do you think that that breaks through? Well, th- there's several layers to that. Uh, so one is, um, as, I explain, as I explained in the book, wolves as a species have a, spe- a particular fondness, fondness of us humans which possibly um, the way I explain it in the book is the only species that really cares what happens to us on, mm-hmm. as a species. So they really want to see us succeed. Say, then wolves are like any other species, you know, like trees. You go to a forest, if you pay attention, some trees are actually more interested in you being in the forest than others. Others don't care. Other ones don't want you there. So wolves are, um, some wolves 
are more reserved. I believe that the wolves that come to Wolf Connection decide to come um, and decide to be part of this mission of being an ambassador in the, in the human world. So for that reason, there's a number of wolves over the years that have a particular predilection of picking the person with the most pain in the group and just go straight to them and do what they need to do. Because mm. Willow and other wolves that we have, they could not be less interested in a photo op. I mean, you come here to, for photos and sometimes we bring donors. And right. we, they yeah. donate a lot of money to take care of Willow. And Willow like, has nothing. I mean, she's not interested. She would play yeah. down under a tree, just leave me alone. Yeah. You know, someone shows up with really uh, a trauma that is ready to be released. She's all there, mm. all game. I mean, we've seen it over and over and over with, with many of the animals, not just her. So, um, yeah, there is a, a mission, I think, they embody uh, as yeah. part, of the, part of the organization. Yeah. That was, um, it seems like a strong nurturing instinct. So I'm trying to, like some of the things that we've tuned into over the years, uh, when the kids were growing up, we really enjoyed the Julie uh, of the Wolves series of books. It's a wonderful series of young adults or children's books, but adults love it as well. Julie of the Wolves. And it's the journey of this uh, young girl who is alone in the uh, Alaskan wilderness. Is it Alaskan or is the Alaskan yeah, tundras? Arctic, she, some kind of Arctic yeah. tundra wilderness. Um, and she learns to survive with the wolves. She's in a situation where she has to, and so she learns the language of the wolves. And so there's a lot about, and I'm sure that there is research that went into that. So it's, while it's a fiction story, it seems to be modeled after a lot of the actual behaviors mm -hmm. of wolves, wolf packs, wolf families, and that sort of thing. Um, so, Back to your point with Willow, do you observe then that the wolves do that with each other? Like, are, is there a nurturing instinct when it is that there is an adult wounded as opposed to a, the nurturing instinct with puppies and a female wolf would be natural? Do you see that also happening within the wolf, with the wolves amongst themselves? Absolutely. They are extremely um, uh, supportive of each other. They, they show great uh, solidarity between each other. Uh, they, um, they have ways to, let's say a wolf gets hurt uh, or becomes old and the rest of the pack will go hunt and bring uh, food for them to feed the pack. So that, uh, I mean, the pack is the first priority, then the self. That, that, is, that is across the board. Biologists have confirmed this. Behavioral, behavioral scientists have confirmed this. And we certainly see it at the ranch. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Is that why, now you talk about the wolves, that one of the things they teach us is how to give 150%. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. I mean, the, the, you know, that's, that's one of the wolf principles. That's uh, 12 lessons um, uh, that I developed uh, to simply explain the wolf behavior and the wolf ways to people with emotional trauma. And the reason I say that is uh, my observations have been that the youth that uh, have experienced severe trauma and they're still developing, many times that trauma impairs their cognitive ability, their ability to focus and pay attention for a long period of time, their ability to... Um, um, involve themselves in a certain task. So, so the wolf principles are one sentence, very simple to understand. And then they have an experiential piece with the wolves 
that helps uh, incorporate the lesson. So giving 150%, you know, people would say that's mathematically impossible. You can only give 100. But what I'm trying to say is that many of us give up before we should. Mm. So what we think is 100 is not really 100. So what we are ready to, to start backpedaling, we actually see it and with heart, with presence, and give it an extra push, we can find another gear or two of things that we can offer, things that we can engage, you know, attention, uh, creativity, and so on. And by no means, I mean, drain yourself, deplete yourself, work till four in the morning. I don't mean that, which is, you know, some people may understand it, you know, in this modern world that, you know, giving 100% meaning, you know, work until you drop. That's not what I mean. It means it's more an emotional, cognitive ability to, to bring yourself forward. Right. And putting your energy completely into what you're doing. Yeah. As opposed to, it's not just doing the motions of what we need to do, but it's like actually putting energy and focus and persistence. Right. So test your boundary, lead into your edge. You know, when you, when you feel like, okay, this is enough, just sit, sit with it for another moment or two. And you may be surprised at what you can come up with. Do you have children? I have one. Okay. And how old is your child? She's going to be five in a couple of months. Okay. So she's growing up around the wolves. And so what has that been like for you seeing her? Well, the wolves, like I said, changed my life because I, uh, you know, the way I committed my life to spiritual uh, teachings and so on, I at one point thought that I wasn't going to have uh, children. And the wolf, one of my first volunteers was Renee, who's my wife now. And they, so the wolf brought me my wife and then a child. <laughs> and, and our child was, um, um, you know, there's a story in the book about, about how the wolf told Renee, my wife, that she was pregnant. Ah. I, I decided to marry Renee after seeing how the wolf were treating her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the way she was being accepted with the wolf, I was like, I was blown away. And, and uh, you know, I, I decided to go all the way with her. And uh, so Kyla, our daughter, she, we have three wolves in the house. So they, our house has two horses, two cats, and three wolves. And, and Kyla, our daughter was, uh, well, Renee was working with the wolf until one week before giving birth. So she's been hearing howling and she's been hearing growling. And you know, since she was in the belly, she doesn't know a world without wolves. I mean, she's been mm-hmm. hearing, I mean, the howling outside, yeah. outside her bedroom window has been happening since she was a newborn. I have pictures of three wolves babysitting her. So she's one, oh, wow. one we call on the floor with uh, one of those play, play little things. Yeah. Uh, and three wolves sitting next to her, just watching her. Wonderful. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. She's well, literally, yeah. She, I mean, forget Julie of the wolf. She's literally being raised. Yes, definitely. <laughs> literally. How, how do the wolves, so you, you have the human wolf connection, but how do the wolves interact with your other animals, your cats and your horses? I, I would assume it's just part of the pack at this point. Well, I have the, we have the pack, the wolf connection pack that lives in a compound with enclosures and so on. No horses and no cats go into that area and no five-year-old goes into that area either, mm. right? Um, in my house, we have three animals that we, we rescue as, as, uh, as little puppies and they are on the low content side, meaning they are more wolf, genetically speaking, more dog than wolves. Mm. 
I see. And, and they were able to, you know, my wife worked a lot with them and uh, me to, uh, to an extent to integrate with the cats, integrate with the horses, integrate with the baby. as just a constant day by day by day. And um, I mean, my daughter takes naps with them and, and uh, one of the cats is boss to the, to the, to the wolf dogs. Uh, so it's, uh, it's very integrated. And I mean, I'm very peaceful and uh, it works really well. Awesome. But it takes a lot, a lot of work, and I do not recommend any of your listeners to try. Well, and then that's a good point because, and that's how you end up with so many rescued yeah. animals that you're trying to um, save, basically. People are glamorized by owning a wolf, but it's really, it's not, it's not that simple. Not at all. Not only that, it, that's our life. Yes. You know, we live at the ranch. The we are, you know. Part of our work is our routine with the animals at home. And then the animals have at the compound and then back at home and through the night, through the days, if it's any, it's, you know, it's, it's a, we're integrated with the, the way the wolves live and are. If you have any job that is not <laughs> rescuing and training wolves all day, you, I mean, wolves don't make, I mean, I have a, a, a facility full of wolves that, some someone thought they were they would be a, a good pet, and they were not. I right. mean, right now I have a I have a team right now that is coming this afternoon, coming back from Las Vegas, and rescuing a wolf there that um, that uh, you know it was someone's pet and it didn't work out. How does introducing a new wolf to your current pack? How does that? What does that process look like? Is it uh, yeah, in, just, in the facility? Yeah, in your facility yeah. when you rescue. It is a slow process. The facility is set up for that process. So we have uh, a number of big uh, uh, habitats that are half an acre, one acre. I mean, they're large areas where the wolves uh, live and they live in pairs. So we have 18 of those. Um, and then we have a smaller enclosures that are, you know, 30 by 50 or 30 by 30, where the, the new animals, we call it, you know, ISO, isolation enclosures, not because they're isolated, but because they, we put them in there when they first arrive. So we can assess behavior, we can assess health, we can spay and neuter if it's needed, we can collect poop samples, urine samples, blood samples, all the things that, that needs to happen over the first month or two in order to assess health, assess behavior, and so on. So they are by themselves in a, Next, right, you know, this offense and next to other animals, so they, they are not, uh, they are part of the pack, but um, carefully studied. And then once we understand that, we, uh, that smaller space also helps them connect with us. So we come in several times a day to, to clean, to refreshen up their waters, to, um, for them to get used to us, to provide enrichment. And then so over the weeks and months, depending on the annual, they, they start showing their, their true personality and we begin to assess if we can leash them, if we cannot, we take them for a walk and then begin bonding. And then based on the personality, we, we guess who they can get along with. So we begin taking them on walks away from, I mean, 20, 30 feet apart on leash so we can assess how they get along and then start bringing them closer to each other and walking next to each other. So it's a, it's a process that uh, a trial and error that lasts months and sometimes years. We wow. have animals, animals that came from four farms over the last few years that um, they just been paired after three or four years, they just been paired with another animal. 
mm. uh, because until then they were feral. They, we could not touch them. We could not catch them. I mean, uh, you know, they, they have, they, each of them, they have their own process. Right, mm. right. So it, it's, it's, wow, it's, that's so elaborate. How many do you have there now at the facility? We have 35 currently. Um, we rescue about 70 or 80 in the life of the organization and we provide a, a sanctuary for life. So right. once they come to us, they stay with us until, until they die. So you don't adopt them out no. even under to good, um, you know, evaluated circumstances now. Okay. No, no, no. no, so, no we, we spay and neuter and then we, so we don't breed and we don't adopt out. Um, we just seen it, seen this go, go wrong way too many yeah. times. So, uh, I, and we know, we know what we're doing. They are super happy with us. They're super excited. I mean, the amount of enrichment that we provide, mm-hmm. you know, there's the very few people that, that do with their own pets, what we do with 35 wolves. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and wolves might be consistent once they're stabilized, but humans can come in and out of being consistent with habits. And I'm sure an animal like that does not need any level of inconsistency in routine or rituals or all of that. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so they are uh, very specific. Um, There's a few things that we do. There's also, there's a, um, a routine, routine, lack of routine. Hmm. For example, (laughs) <laughs> we don't feed them exactly at the same time. We feed them in a bracket of time. So in the morning, in the morning, they get fed as the sun comes up. At a different time of the year, that's a, diff- that's a different time of the day. Right. And the reason is, uh, if they get fed every day at 8 in the morning, then you can start triggering, you know, the day you, you are behind, they start getting aggressive at 8.15. Um, yeah, that's a good point. So if, if they are used to expect... 6, 6.30, 9.30, 8, 10, you know, like this, you know, breakfast at different times. They know it's coming at some point, but they have a, they have a, a better um, resilience to waiting for that meal. The same in the evenings. So we feed them twice a day to prevent them from over, overloading their stomach. I mean, that prevents uh, bloat uh, in rescue animals. So we feed them twice a day. And the same with the evening, you know, and the same with the hikes. We hike them. You know, every day we take animals for hikes. So they, they you know, each animal, you know, hikes two, three times a week. And we hike, for, hike them for miles. But the hikes happen at different days of the week, at different times. So they don't have that anxiety now that Wednesday, you know, they have like an inner clock. So mm-hmm. they are able to tell really what, when is a certain time happening. So we, uh, that's part of the enrichment to help them get used to, not expecting something at the same time every day. Right. Wow. That's such a science. You've got it down to a science. It makes so much sense. I mean, some of those things we could even incorporate with our domestic animals. Yes. Especially <laughs> our, that, you know, the pets. Staggered rather. feeding. Yeah, the staggered <laughs> feeding thing. Well, I know that we're getting short and need to let you go soon. So I just wanted to, one of the things I, when I was asking about having a child is, um, as our kids know, uh, we learn a lot from nature and I think there's a lot to be learned from the animal kingdom about even parenting. And so I think I'm wondering if there's anything that you've observed about and learned in as a parent yourself to a five-year-old and first a newborn and now a five-year-old that you've actually learned through observing and living with the wolves. Yeah. That, this is actually part of a future book. Um, I've been asked to write a, um, 
a book on uh, corporate leadership uh, based on the walls. And, and it's not going to be corporate leadership. It's going to be about leadership. Great. The, yeah. the way you're leading in your company is the way you lead at home, the way you lead everywhere. Yeah. So it's, not, it's not compartmentalized. So for parenting, there are two things that I would emphasize. One is demonstrate emotional intelligence or emotional maturity. You can tell your kids what to do all day long, but they're going to watch you and they're going to repeat not only what you do, but also it's almost like they copy the imprint. So it's not really what you do only. It's also how you feel, your mental process, even if you never voice it, your inner dialogue, your emotional processing, the way you respond to things. That's really what they copy. Hmm. So... Um, what do I mean by emotional processing? One of the things that I take that is my focus with my child is that every one of my emotions, I, I demonstrate it as clean as I can. So if I'm joyful, I'm like, the joy is like contagious. If I love her, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like, you know, she gets, you know, smothered by me and, 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 and hugged and kissed and, and rubbed and, and, you know, smooched. If I'm angry, is unapologetically. And that's the, the, the main key for many parents. For, uh, for many parents, you know, you get upset, the kid broke and whatever. They're not obeying, they're throwing a tantrum. You get upset, and then the upset follows by guilt, you know, regret, apologetic, let me buy you a toy so you forgive me. I mean, it's a, it's a complete mess of emotions that follow. So, so when I correct my child, I'm vicious. Like, like a wolf would. There's no apologies and it's, you know, that's the end. And, and after that, it doesn't, I don't hold a grudge. It doesn't last two, three days. I guess it doesn't get punished, you know? So the, the, the direction is final. And then just like the wolf, after the, the correction is done, next thing we go and play, we go, but it's never a, a addressing that, oh, Am I, you know, right, right. Am, am I, you know, uh, giving trauma to my child? I mean, all, every parent has that inner dialogue, right? Yeah. And then the child copies like, okay, well, okay. Are you angry or you're regretful or you're shameful or you're, what is it? Right? Yeah. Uh, no, that's so emotional clarity. Emotional clarity. And the second thing is leadership. If you look at nature, there's no puppy, cub, or, or youngling of any species that leads anything. Yes. <laughs> yes. There isn't. Yeah. There isn't. You don't see it. That's you know, right. because the, the, the job of the, the youngling is to follow. To follow an emotionally balanced leader. And the emotionally balanced leader demonstrate, you know, heart-centered, balanced leadership. So when the time for the youngling comes to to lead, then they know what it feels to, to be led that way, and then they lead accordingly. Yes. So in our schools, I mean, we have this, this you know, idiocy of pushing leadership of our young. You must be a leader. And it's okay. I mean, a kid can lead a little game among their peers. They go, well, let's go this way. Okay, let's go, you know. And you can see the, the kids that take initiative. But from there to become a leader in their community at 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, it's setting them up for failure. And that, I believe, is the source of a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the ADD, a lot of the bipolar, a lot of the emotional 
you know, thing that, that kids have in school that we just put too much pressure. Yeah. But this, what this does unconsciously is, is bailing the teachers and the parents from leading balancedly, you know, with, with powerfully. And then we blame it on the kids, but it's really us. Yeah. No, hundred percent. I love that. It's uh, my, my observation in the animal world is that uh, it's, they succeed at the fine balance of prioritizing their young ones without it making, without the young ones ever getting a sense of that. <laughs> in other words, the pack is all about the survival of the young because that's the survival of the pack. However, they don't cater to the young. Rather, they protect them and then they teach them how to follow the leaders of the pack, essentially. So, right, yeah. Right, right. And if I have to add a third one, never, ever give in to a tantrum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, because yeah, no, they, can, they can hold I, I, mean, I, I have it in my mind. You know, my, my daughter last night, she was tired. I think I kept it up a little longer, my wife was out. So I, you know, she was an evening with daddy and we, we did our bath and the movie and the blah, blah, blah. So she was tired, she didn't take a nap. So a little thing, I don't know what she wanted and, and, and then exploded into a tantrum. And I, and I closed my eyes and I go, okay, I can hold this infinitely longer than she can hold a tantrum. Someday and she goes and goes and goes, I'm okay, that's okay. Stop yelling at me, it's okay, ah, stop yelling at me. You know, and I held it, I held it, and eventually she went, yes. Daddy, can I get this? Sure, done. So, and what that does on an emotional level is that daddy will hold my emotions as long as he takes, so I'm safe. Yes, yeah. If my, if my tantrum throws my daddy off, I'm not safe. I don't have mm -hmm. someone that, you know, Who's leading here? No one is leading. I throw yeah. a tantrum. This guy is out to the boonies emotionally. You know, we start losing it. We start yelling out. I mean, yeah. and then uh, that, cre that creates emotional imbalance. So 100%. hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. And eventually, yeah. there is a, this, you, you, you will see it. It's a deep inhale and exhale. And then that, that's the big, one of the biggest gifts we can give our, our, our little kids. Excellent. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, we want to honor your time and make sure we let you go. But uh, before we do, if you could share um, what your vision is for the Wolf Connection Sanctuary, where you would like to go with that. Well, Wolf Connection just is turning 10 years old. So the next thing, the first 10 years was about survival, about um, uh, proving a concept, building a community, creating partners, staying alive. The next 10 years, are about thriving. Mm -hmm. So we are developing uh, this $50 million uh, building development project uh, proposed. And so we're developing a, a, a destination for human growth and healing. Wow. And this is basically a whole uh, retreat center and sanctuary for humans and for wolves. Eventually we will have about 100 wolves on site in different, in different areas multiple programs, lodging, a transitional, transitional housing unit for kids aging out of foster care, living on the land, wow. bun houses, you know, organic farms, solar. So it's a, it's a big, basically as a facility, we are going to demonstrate um, a, a sustainable village and how humans can live sustainably on, on this planet in a modern way mm -hmm. and with focus on the next generation. 
Fantastic. That is so beautiful and so wonderful. When you get your next book uh, written, we would love to have you on um, and continue to follow your journey uh, and share your story. Um, This is what comes. I mean, that's an incredible vision that comes from following your heart. So thank you so much for following yours and for sharing your story and the healing work that you're doing in the world with both the humans and the wolves. So Theo Alfero with The Wolf Connection. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for the I Create Daily podcast. Please let us know what creatives you would like us to interview and what topics you would be interested in hearing more about. And if you enjoyed this show, please leave a review on iTunes. We value your feedback. We read all the reviews and it just helps us get the word out on the I Create Daily podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much.